just conducting an experiment to see if flowers feel pain and also to see if my dog loves me spoiler alert she does but guess what if there's one thing that I love more than love it's that if you were to go and leave a five-star rating for this podcast on your podcast app or you could leave a nice review you could say something like I love this podcast especially because this episode is all about love You know what, if you really love me, or you love this podcast, you could share this podcast with a friend, or you could share it on your social media. That would be a lot of love, and boy do I love love, and I know you guys love love too. And speaking of love, it's time to start the show. My guest today is award-winning adventure romance author Stacey Gold. Stacy would rather be in the middle of nowhere than almost anywhere else. To that end, she's run more than 50 rivers in three countries, been hella dropped into remote ski huts multiple times, and made it into even more under her own steam, and most recently completed a self-support kayak trip in the Grand Canyon. She has worked for the USDA Forest Service as a backcountry ranger, river ranger, and naturalist, and spent 14 years as a commercial river guide and kayak instructor in the Southeast, Rocky Mountains, and Pacific Northwest. Her last real job was serving as communications director for a statewide mountain biking nonprofit. What's up, Stacey? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Man, this is not even, I have a question that it was my first question, but now that I read that again, it just reminded me, what, what is, I just wanted to ask, what's a mountain biking nonprofit? Because I love mountain biking. Yeah, so these days, pretty much um, most states and most towns, even some really small towns, have their own mountain biking nonprofits. And those organizations typically advocate for new trails. They do trail building, trail maintenance. A lot of them have educational programs, so you can take classes. Um, Lots of them offer group rides for free on different trails. So they're just, you know, nonprofits dedicated to fostering mountain biking in a particular area. The one I worked for was statewide. And at the time, when I started with them, we had one regional chapter. And when I left, we had six, uh, which was super awesome because mountain biking has been spreading hugely. Yeah, I'm so yeah, it's it's one of my favorite sports. And I am so stoked to see 
you see that a lot on Instagram, you know, just like in, in the reels, like in the little videos, just like how this new generation and like of just mountain bikers just doing all kinds of awesome stuff. And I just love, it. I don't know. Anyway, I was just curious. I was like, Oh, you did a mountain biking nonprofit. What exactly is that? I should, uh, here in Nashville, I should see what, what they've got available. And I'll see if I can get down with some of those guys and maybe do some volunteer work. I'll, I've built some trails, so I know what to do, or maybe I, maybe I do. <laughs> I've maybe it's, somebody... always, it's always good to get out there. I, I really love building trails. It's super fulfilling to, yeah. you know, actually see it and do, you know, do one of those jobs where you see it done at the end, you can tell the difference and then you get to ride it and you're like, yeah. Oh, so nice. <laughs> yeah. And it's a good, that makes it a really good full body workout. Cause you know, digging the trail, you know, <laughs> all that work that gets your, hits your upper body. And then, you know, biking's a lot of lower body. I mean, biking's everything, but anyway, yeah. that was totally off topic. It wasn't even where I wanted to start, but I had just, it just now reading your bio, I just recalled, I was like, what is this? Yes, you should but, absolutely check it out. I'm sure. I know that uh, IMBA is in Tennessee, which is the the biggest mountain biking organization there, the, our international mountain biking organization. Um, but I'm pretty sure you guys have local too. Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, dudes nearby. I won't go off on this for too long, but there are some dudes nearby. We have a park called Percy Warner Park, and it is illegal to mountain bike there. Uh, but a bunch of these dudes have kind of like made their own little spot that nobody's bothering them about it. They just kind of made uh, some jumps and some trails that are just off in the cut away from the, the typical trails. And so far, so good for those guys. So maybe yeah. I'll, that, that seems a toughie. <laughs> It's Having a DIY. worked for a mountain bike organization, <laughs> I have to say that can cause you problems down the road in trying to get legal trail Yeah, put in. Um, we had some big fights. We had one county that was always shutting down rogue trails that have been built and jumps, especially. They will take out because there's liability for them on their lands. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then I, I imagine there's probably to it with the people that run uh, the state parks you know, is uh, how this might affect the ecosystem, you know, putting in trails that's without, without having a naturalist or someone be like, Hey, this is not, you know, this is going to damage whatever. <laughs> right. Don't build it here. There's some endangered salamander that yeah. lives right here or who knows. Yeah. yeah. As, <laughs> as soon as, as soon as I started praising this DIY trail project that these guys were doing, I immediately started regretting it. Cause I was like, you know what? They might be doing some damage. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll just move along from that <laughs> so uh stacy um like i was telling you before we started recording i just read your book uh this was a super fun book and i can't think of the last time a book made me want to go backpacking as much as this uh and i'm not a difficult person to push in that direction but do you think there's people out there uh reading this book that are suddenly deciding like I'm not going to go to the beach for my vacation uh, this year. I'm going to go solo hiking through the mountains. Well, I certainly hope so. I don't know for sure, but I can say that with my previous book, I have a series of three novellas that are ski romances. And I had a woman get in touch with me who, by the time she read the third one, she sent me this wonderful email about how as a kid, she always wanted to go skiing, but she didn't have the money. So if her friends went, occasionally she'd go and just hang out in the lodge, but she, you know her family could never afford to actually rent gear and buy lift tickets and all that. So in her early 60s, she took her first ski lesson because of reading my little ski romance novellas. Well, that's excellent. 
And so I just <laughs> thought that was so cool and so awesome. And I really hope it does. I hope it encourages people generally to get out there, whether solo or with others. And I really hope it encourages more women to get out there again, solo or with others. Yeah. Because, you know, for me, I started doing things solo, not really because I had a desire to go solo, but because I couldn't find anyone else to go. Yeah. And, and I just was like, well, if I wait for somebody else, I may never get to go do these cool things. So I guess I'm just going to go do them by myself. Yeah. And, you had a character in the book. Uh, I think her name is Allie. Yeah. She's like, she's like, hell no, I'll never go. I'll never go hiking. And that sort of thing. She's a person like if she has a vacation, it's a beach a vacation. Sure. And I think that obviously, I mean, if you look at, go look at Florida, there's millions of people that think the same way. Uh, but yeah, like reading this book, I was like, man, you know, don't get me wrong. I love to go to the beach. I totally love it. That's, you know, sure. but I was just vibing with this so hard. And I, I live pretty close to the Appalachian trail. And I was like, man, I wonder like if I could get out for like a week and just be, you know, just disappear on the Appalachian trail for a week just by myself. Cause you were bringing all those thoughts back into my head. And, you know, in this book, that, that idea of just getting out in nature by yourself and there's just nothing but you in nature. It's a, it's a very uh, powerful experience. It is. And and I think it's funny that you mentioned Allie uh, because she's actually, she gets the second book in the series. It's oh, a, cool. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the three ladies, Jules, uh, Allie and Bryn. And Jules is the first book, Wild at Heart, that you just read. And then Allie's book is the second book, Drive Me Wild. And it's really fun because she is totally like, I will never carry a backpack. That's just yeah. crazy. And of course, it's a backpacking book. So yeah. Allie's going backpacking. <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee I will read it. I didn't know. I guess I, somehow I didn't know going in that this was a trilogy. I I thought this was just a standalone. Well, and I write them all to be read as standalones. Yeah. So, um, and I'm working, I'm working on edits of book two right now. So it's not out yet. Um, but I do, I try and write them all as standalone. So you could come in anywhere in the series, pick up any one and read it and enjoy it. But I like having the crossover and the overlap so that you really get to know the three main characters throughout the series. So if you kind of fall in love with one of them in the first book, just know they'll have a book too. And that'll yeah. be really fun. And you'll get to see everybody again in the later books uh, because the, you know, whoever was the main character in, in one of the books becomes a secondary character. That's cool. I like that the universe is expanding and that you can go and uh, find out what's going on with all these other people. Um, I know. And there's actually already been calls for uh, Evan's brother, John, to get his own book. I, you would not believe that that was about that was the, I was about to say that next. <laughs> I was like, let's hear about this guy's life. I don't want to do any spoilers. And he is probably the most massive spoiler in the book uh, when he has a conversation with Evan on a bench. And there's a part where I was like, oh, my God, I think I like threw the book. I was oh, like, I, I love couldn't, it. couldn't believe the bombs he was dropping. But hey, so good, right? <laughs> let's, I, I do want to move to just a slightly more philosophical kind of aspect of what uh, of your writing, because like I was saying, this is a really fun book. I was just like, I was just having a great time. There's like thought provoking stuff. And I guess I'll just go into kind of where I wanted to go, which is, you know, Wild at Heart. It's a love story, of course. Uh, but you really pack a ton of stuff in here. And one thing in particular I was thinking was that it's also a love of the wilderness story. 
and uh you've got a character named evan like we said who has a job in finance and i i don't totally understand what his job is but it's in acquisitions and whenever i think of those kinds of jobs i think of uh the borg from star trek you know just like <laughs> just trying to like absorb and assimilate uh you know all these smaller companies you know try, you know because they're all just trying to generate more capital for whatever purpose and i think you, know, you make some really great points in that too where you're saying like you know what is the, he says that what is the point of acquiring so much money that you have more than you ever need or will use and then your life continues to be driven your main purpose is to acquire more and more and more money do you have a personal philosophy about how as humans become more and more disconnected from nature, the more we obsess over things like capitalism and consumerism. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and I'm really glad that you picked up on that. And it's, it's definitely something I just developed throughout my life, partly because I realized fairly early on a, I'm not your quote unquote, typical woman, especially I was raised in the South in Atlanta in the eighties. I did not fit. I was supposed to be going to the mall and doing my hair and makeup and nails. And I really just wanted to be outside um, yeah. playing in the outdoors and building things. And um, so I didn't fit and I tried to fit and I tried to go down the path that everyone says you're supposed to, you know, I've had jobs in sales and, you know, recruiting and, and things like that where I'm supposed to get all upwardly mobile. And I, have I mean now it's later in my life I'm I'm not as broke as I was when I first started working in the outdoor industry I no longer live in the back of my pickup truck but I was equally as happy then you yeah. know I mean money doesn't bring happiness money relieves stress right once you have a certain amount of money you don't have to stress about it constantly which yeah. is wonderful but beyond that what are you really gaining. I mean, yeah, you know, plan for retirement and the future and whatnot. But I mean, what would I do if I was worth $8 billion or, you know, whatever me personally, I'd be donating it. I'd be buying large tracts of land and turning them into wilderness. And I, that's, oh, that is my absolute. And I know that there are sadly very few, but I know that there are some people in the billionaire class that are doing that. It's my favorite uh, recent thing I've I've been learning about is people that are buying up as much land as they can to keep it out of the hands of developers. I think it's yep. just incredible. Yeah. And I think, I think for so many people nowadays, we really have, we've lost touch with ourselves. We've lost touch with nature. <clears throat> when I hear people who are like, Oh, I hate camping or hiking or being out in the woods. I'm like, actually, you probably don't, you just probably really haven't done it. So it's uncomfortable for you. Um, if you are, you know, I'm, I'm of an age that I grew up wild and feral in the summers, running around, wading in creeks and building forts and climbing trees. And so to me, being out in the woods, being out in the woods by myself has never been uncomfortable. That's how I grew up. Yeah. But a lot of people didn't. And I remember a number of years ago, I was in New York city and I hadn't been there in a while and it was a hot day in the summer and you know, New York City, if you've ever been there, there's little pocket parks in yeah. different spots and they've got grass. Every tiny little patch of grass had as many people on it as possible. We as humans are drawn to nature. 
we want to feel grass under our feet. We want the sun on our faces. You know, we want to feel the breeze and hear the birds. And so many of us don't know it. And we're so sucked in to either working, trying to make money, spending way too much money on crap we don't need, or being online or, you know, basically watching other people's lives roll out in an electronic format on TV or online. Yeah, for sure. And when you can reconnect with the natural world and with yourself, everything slows down and your priorities really shift. And you start to realize that the things that are important are things like, you know, your health, your family, your friends, um, your pets, you know, yeah. other living creatures, other living things and your own self are are what's really important. And of course, right now for all of us, we're all starting to experience climate change. I mean, it's getting pretty hard to say that no, nothing weird is happening here. Yeah. Oh my God. Right? The summer, the summer has been brutal, and I, yeah, I'm a very outdoors person too. So I'm, like, I can tell because I'm like, I'm outside all year round and, and every summer, and this has been like painfully hot for certain things for activities like biking and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it was really interesting to me because I went to school in Colorado in the early nineties and then left for about 22 years and came back and just seeing the shift in the weather patterns and all of that and the fires. I mean, we don't have fire season anymore. It's pretty much year round now, which is wacky yeah. and wrong. Um, and I think so many people have just lost touch. They're like so worried about, oh my gosh, you know, somebody said there's a new Kate Spade collection coming out. I better buy all of that or I want a car that does all these things, fancy, whatever. Um, <clears throat> and that stuff just isn't that important. And when you when you get out in the woods, especially when you get out there by yourself, it reframes everything and you start to realize how important the natural world is to your health, your well-being, everybody's health and well-being. Um, you, so you use a phrase... Uh, not to jump all the way into the epilogue. It's where I saw it, but I was like, oh, uh, at, and I may have heard it before. It's a nature deficit disorder. Yeah. Is that uh, is that like a, I'm just curious, like where did that come from? Uh, it came from uh, quite, a, quite a while ago. I, I want to say, and I'm probably going to be wrong. I first heard the term maybe in the 90s, mm -hmm. uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and of course, right now, because you're asking me this off the cuff, I cannot remember. There was someone who wrote a book who first coined the term nature deficit disorder, and it was in relation to children. Yeah. And that was when people first started talking about, you know, prescriptions for getting people outdoors and needing to get kids outside more. Yeah. Well, like you said, for, for people like us being kids, like, cause I was an outside kid. I mean, you couldn't like, you had to drag me back in the house. As a matter of fact, I, this is going to sound, I mean, it's going to sound like i that I was just got away with anything as a kid, but it really was uh, that I loved to be outside so much. I had a, I had a Sega Genesis. And if I was in trouble, if I was grounded, I had, that was the only time I played video games because it was like, my punishment was that I was inside. So right. like, you know, but like so many kids now it would be like, or even then, you know, the punishment would be to take away your video game. It's like, then you're in trouble. But my mom knew that like me being stuck in the house was like, I, I, I already knew like the punishment was already severe enough. So <laughs> like, she'd be like, all right, go play Sonic the Hedgehog and you'll be, you know, 
<laughs> so, yeah, you'll be losing your mind in about two hours, kid, right? <laughs> that was the, the level of outside kid I was, where I was like, I'm not on my bike. I'm not on my skateboard. Ah, I'm not building a treehouse. Which brings me back to something you just said a little bit earlier. We are talking about New York City. And, you know, whenever there's a, a patch of land that isn't concrete, everyone just gravitates towards it. You know, everybody wants to be on it. And you made me think, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but whenever a animal like a like a cow has been released from a factory farm and they experience uh grass or a pasture for the first time the way they behave where they express pure joy and all animals do it all, all farm animals and you know we're animals as well i mean it's almost heartbreaking to watch a cow like that's walked on grass for the first time to see yeah. how happy they are because then you know then you can no longer deny how unhappy that cow was in, in the factory farm Sorry, I kind of I know that's a tangent, but I just what I mean to say is that I we are we are animals too. You know, it applies to us too. You know, we're not meant to just be trapped in a box looking at a screen. Yeah. And I've thought about that so much. I mean, I've seen those same videos you have. And I, I think the part to me that's almost the most heartbreaking is when they first try to get them to go outside and they stick their nose out and you can tell they're like, oh, I don't know. Like, yeah. This is scary to me. And I always think about that's all the people who've never spent time in the outdoors who say they hate it. They're the ones with their nose sticking out the barn door going, oh, I don't know about this. I've never been out here. I don't know what this is. This terrifies me. And if they just let themselves get out there in a few minutes, they would frolic with joy as well. Because you're right. We're all animals and we're all woven together in this web that's a part of the outdoors and we all need more of it. And I mean, it's definitely a piece of what I try to do with my books is inspire people. Like we were talking about at the beginning, inspire people to get out there in whatever way you can. I mean, maybe you'll never backpack. Maybe you'll never go solo on anything, but maybe you'll choose to go spend the afternoon at the park and go walk a nice trail out to a creek instead yeah. of sitting at home watching Stranger Things again. No, no, nothing against stranger things i'm working my way through it myself but oh, yeah. it's, one, it's one of my favorite shows <laughs> i watched all of it um uh, but i guess like so you just use the word inspiration and i guess like speaking of inspiration in a different way uh not like not you inspiring people to you know be outdoors but things that maybe perhaps have inspired parts of your writing and i'm not even entirely sure if inspired is the correct word but uh when i think about like uh like back into the book, uh, Evan almost dies in the book from his own inexperience with being in the wilderness, but also not to anyone that was listening that was just getting excited about going in the woods. This is very different. He went like off on a trail with no way to communicate with anyone by himself in the mountains. I mean, it's definitely the kind of thing you shouldn't do with zero experience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, fortunately, uh, Jules is there to save him. But then uh, also another backpacker goes missing and you know search and rescue has to be called in and obviously you spent a ton of time in the backcountry uh you were a ranger and would you be willing to share maybe some of the real life emergencies you encountered that might have perhaps inspired some of that stuff or yeah sure um I've been lucky in that I haven't had to deal personally with a lot of search and rescue especially out on the trails most of what I've run into with hiking and mountain biking and being a ranger and that sort of thing 
has been your usual. People are a little lost and turned around or, um, you know, somebody has tweaked themselves, but, but nothing horrible. However, uh, working as a raft guide <clears throat> and as the safety kayaker, I have had some experiences where I've had people almost die on me or I thought I was going to have uh, somebody die on me. In fact, towards the end of my career in that world, part of what made me stop was, you know, as a course, as you get older, you become more aware of <clears throat> how fragile we all are and how dangerous things really are. You know, in your 20s, you, you kind of don't really even see all that. Yeah. And I had had, um, I was working as a safety kayaker on a run that was pretty big. It was early season. So we were running a different stretch of river with a lot of water in it because the regular stretch was too high. And uh, one of our guides wrapped their boat on a rock. And uh, I think five people swam out of it in the middle of a very large, very long, very continuous class four rapid. And uh, my husband and I were both safety kayakers on that trip. And I mean, at one point I had two people I'm towing to shore on the back of my boat. When I finally get to my last person, he's been getting hammered. He's been going over drops, getting recirculated in nasty hydraulics. Yeah. And, you know, I've been chasing people. So I'm getting to everyone as quick as I can. I finally get to him. I, I get him to grab the back of my boat. I'm towing him to shore and it's not easy. It's still very continuous, big, big whitewater. And at one point, he says very weakly, I don't think I can hold on. And I was like, you have to hold on. Yeah. You will die if you let go of my boat. You cannot let go. <laughs> you know, like, this, is, no. this is non-optional. <laughs> not optional. This is not a choice you get to make right yeah. here. Um, and I did get him to shore and he spent a good bit of time puking up water. I mean, it, it was rough. And, I've, I've uh, been there for sure. Yeah. And, I, and I've definitely, I've, I've had a couple friends over the years die whitewater kayaking. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty aware of the dangers that are out there and I don't want to downplay them in my books because I don't want to romanticize, you know, being out there because then we're going to get more Evans going out there with no experience choosing yeah. stuff that puts them in way over their heads. Well, um, this is, like this podcast synchronicity is just every no matter every single episode has synchronicity and for some reason i mean i don't even know why i get surprised anymore because my next question so when i asked you about that i thought you might be like oh well you know search and rescue that you know maybe something but you went directly and answered a lot of my next question i'm gonna ask it anyway because i because it is about your writing but you did just mention i mean clearly your experience with uh you know, whitewater being, you know, a safety kayaker out there, you know, saving people. But uh, you write the experience of near drowning beautifully. Uh, Thank I, you. Well, <laughs> I, I know this because I have a lot of personal experience with near drowning. I, you know, I've, I've almost drowned in the ocean. I've almost drowned in rivers. I've had, you know, the, the, that the experience like you just you know described of the guy that you know is trying to get the water out of his lungs because it's like you know it was damn near over almost over yeah and so this is really maybe a more of a writing question though uh how do you know how to write this experience of drowning so accurately well i myself have also nearly drowned <laughs> 
a few times, um, especially in my career with raft guiding and learning to whitewater kayak and and all of that. And then, um, so a lot of it comes from my personal experience and that's true across all of my writing. Lots of people pick out different parts and go, oh my gosh, it seems so real. And that's because when I'm writing, I will literally close my eyes and think back to a similar moment in my own life. Whether I'm writing about, you know, taking your boots off at the side of a stream and, and putting your feet in the cool, cool water, or yeah. whether I'm writing about almost drowning in a river, I am quite literally thinking about my own experience. What did it feel like? What did it smell like? What was I thinking? Um, you know, all of those pieces. And then from a craft perspective, it was just spending a lot of time. I was, um, I would have been more if, if, if anybody is old enough to remember Mishner and his giant, giant books with pages and pages of description. I leaned that way when I first started writing and I had a fabulous critique partner and she went through and she'd be like, you don't need these two pages of description. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I was so glad that your friend said that too, because I, this is one of the, if I, I should have been recording when we were talking earlier, but one of the things I was saying is why I was enjoying your book so much is because it's a, uh, you know, I didn't want to put it down. It just kept me going, you know, a chapter ends and I don't want to stop because the chapter ends. And that's, that's a great way for a book to be. <laughs> it is, it is. And I work really hard to make it that way, to make you get to the end of the chapter and be like, well, it's only one o'clock in the morning. Surely I could do another chapter, you know? <laughs> and like I was in like, what you just said uh, too, with like drawing from uh, personal experience and reality. And I guess there's more than one place where that uh, stuck out to me, but obviously the drown, uh, the near drowning, because I know exactly what it feels like to be in powerful water or, you know, to be pinned underwater with, or in rapids it feels different in different types of situations, feels different in the ocean than it does in a river, sort of. But it's just water is so unbelievably powerful once it's got a hold of you and you're under. Hold up. It's time for a word from our sponsors. Hello, it is I, French Pierre, attorney at law. Have you been accused of falling in love with a beautiful person on the hiking trail? And when you get back to Boston, your very mean, wealthy family has cut you out of your inheritance. Zoudelon, French Pierre, will fight for you. You may be entitled to one million francs and a two-night stay at the Fontainebleau Hotel. Sacre Bleu, call un, deux, trois, Pierre-Francois. Wow, French Pierre, attorney at law. That's like a really specific thing. That's a lot like something that I read in the the book we're talking about well you know French Pierre is from the city of love de Paris so I have read the book of which you speak oh French Pierre loves love car un deux trois Pierre François alright guys you heard it here first if uh you've been cut out of your inheritance for falling in love with a beautiful person on the hiking trail called French Pierre attorney of law at and now back to the interview. Are there any more like things, maybe just in this book in particular, where that's like you just pulled straight from real life? You're like, this is a thing that an experience of mine that I thought was 
interesting and magical enough to I'm going to I'm going to throw it in here and have someone else experience it, have a character experience it. Every time they take a swim in a high mountain lake. Yeah. Yeah, that's all me. <laughs> that, felt, <laughs> that felt very real, too. Oh, and uh, that was the, the compliment that I gave you that we didn't record is what I was going to say that you write men's perspectives so well. And I called you a reverse Ernest Hemingway because <laughs> because Ernest Hemingway couldn't write a woman's character at all. And you and the complete opposite, you write a men's character uh, exceptionally well, like, you know, so I don't know. <laughs> and, and that is I mean, I can't tell you what a huge compliment that is coming from a guy who's also outdoorsy and has read my book. Um, and and as I mentioned a little when you said this earlier, I think it's partly because I have always leaned, you know, I've always done the guy sports, the guy's activities. I've always had the guy's interest. You know, <clears throat> I was working on cars as a teenager, learning how engines worked and um, building things and playing in the woods. And so I've always had lots of guy friends. I've always felt more akin to men in the way that I operate in life and what society's expectations are of a woman. So I actually find it easier and more comfortable a lot of times to write the men than write the women. But luckily I'm able to do it because I am a woman and I do get it. It's just not where I live my life. Yeah. So for me, yeah, the guys, I'm just basically writing a, you know, amalgamation of lots of people I've known. And uh, yeah. And the, the, what's, you know, Evan has to, he has to stand up to his overbearing uh, father. Who's like a imposing figure. Like I see, like, I see it's kind of, you know, the thing is interesting. I'm, I'm not an Evan. I'm not, he's very, very different from the kind of person I am, but I, but he feels so real to me, you know, even though I'm not, uh, I don't share a lot of experiences or traits with him. Right. <laughs> but I could, but I do, you know, I've known a lot of guys like that where it's like, they got to get it out of the, out from under the shadow of their dad, you know? And all that was, I don't know. What did, where did you, where did that come from? Is that, I mean, do you just know dudes that are just like their dad was kind of like had a, they, they were an adult and their dad was still fucking with their life somehow. Is that. Yeah. I've known people like that. I've known families like that um and of course we've all had examples of that in movies and tv as well yeah and, uh, i tend to draw from lots of things i i like to take bits and pieces from my own life other people's lives maybe something i read or saw at some point and then put it all in a big pot and make my own stew with it you know yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. i guess and, that's why We've oh. all known the overbearing parent, haven't we? In some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Well, that's what yeah, I was going to say. That's why I think maybe Star Wars was so successful. Is so many people really that that uh, dynamic between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker struck a chord with so many people. Right. I mean, there's so many parts of that that even though you could say, "Oh, it's you know, it's sci-fi and it's all a big fantasy." There's a lot of bits of realism across all of it. It's just the circumstances that yeah. are fantastical for us. Yeah. And like Obi-Wan would be like the surrogate father. Okay. I'm going to stop Star Wars talking. <laughs> we could go off on that tangent for a while. <laughs> I know. I just finished watching the Obi-Wans. <laughs> oh, I have not. I just, I love that. I love Ewan McGregor, man. Oh, love him so much. Uh, have you seen Dr. Sleep? No. Have you seen The Shining? I have not. I read it. 
years oh. ago. Well, um, we and actually, I saw the original. You know? We actually did an episode on this podcast. I I made a I thought would be a very unpopular uh, statement that Doctor Sleep was better than The Shining. Doctor Sleep is the prequel. No, it's I mean it's the sequel to oh, The Shining. So Stephen King wrote he wrote The Shining and he wrote Doctor Sleep. And uh, I won't go too far into this, but Stanley Kubrick. Um, he really, really took some liberties. Like he went beyond taking liberties with the shining to yeah. where it was unrecognizable from the book that Stephen King wrote. And I don't think Stephen King was very happy with that. And then the person that he wrote, uh, Dr. Sleep much, much later, he wrote that like in 2011, I think. And the movie, the people that made that movie kept it true to the book. And I think it's a more fun, cooler movie. So <laughs> all right now i'm gonna have to check it out i don't do a lot of horror anymore but dr sleep it's okay there are scary there's scary moments but it's mostly just cool a lot of okay. astral astral projection i don't know it is uh, it's hard to hard to say all right i'll have to check it out though you, you piqued my interest scale from one to ten on scary it's a seven okay <laughs> <laughs> i am so sorry that i took us down the doctor it's just when you brought up you and mcgregor i was like i gotta tell I got to tell you about Dr. Sleep. It's, it's like one of my favorite movies. Well, and you know, it's kind of interesting um, because it leads me to a point that'll kind of circle us back around. Okay. I used to read a fair amount of horror and I went through a big Stephen King phase years ago. Um, but one of the reasons I started writing romance and reading romance is because I feel like there's so much stress and negativity and crazy, horrible stuff going on in our world that you know with romance you're always guaranteed it's going to end happy it's it, it's part of the romance genre it's the one convention you must meet it has to have either a happily ever after or happily for now at the end the couple must get together and be happy together at the end and i mean you can put a lot in between obviously i have near death scenes and and things like that and you know it goes up and down but Anymore, if I'm going to spend a lot of my time with something as a reader or a writer, I want it to be something that ultimately is happy and feels good. Yeah. And that's part of why I combined all my love of the outdoors with the writing of romance, because I really love romance. And there's some great, great books out there. And there's a lot of great indie stuff coming out. And even traditional publishing is starting to shift the, the type of romance novels that it's putting out. Not quite quick enough for me. Um, which is why I had to start writing my own, but uh, it's that it's just so nice to be able to create a world that I would want to be in on my own time anyway. Yeah, That's, you know that is exactly it's. So yeah, I've read a lot of Stephen King too. I've, you know, I I read a lot of horror and I read a lot of sci. I read mostly sci-fi. Uh, mm -hmm. That was such an interesting thing. Get into this book too, because like. I don't know. Maybe I'm like a little warped too because I'm consuming too much of one type of uh, genre, or do you know what I mean? Because uh, yeah, there were so many times in your book where I expected a catastrophe that was that would have been kind of inappropriate. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> uh, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything. But there's like you know, there's some scenes. There's one in particular where I was like, "Oh no, Evan's dead!" Like right, <laughs> like. In one particular scene where right. I, I was like, and I was like, God, it's, it's what the hell? But, you know, 
it, it's so early on in the book that it wouldn't make sense. I mean, I guess I could have just looked at the book and been like, I'm not even halfway through. Like, what, <laughs> what, what, what would the story continue to be if he is if he is already dead before the book is at halfway point? I, I don't know. I guess I guess it just I do I do expect that because I do you know especially if you if you read Stephen King he'll just kill off a main character and that you've grown to like. <laughs> oh yeah, or like Game of Thrones. I mean, oh yeah, Martin, oh my god, yeah. Right? You'll be like, wait, who's going to die now? Yeah. And that's part of what I love about romance is nobody's going to die. <laughs> it's going to be okay in the end. I mean, there are some books where where death, I mean, even in my book, you know, somebody dying factors in, yeah. but it's not on page. It's in the past. And it's, yeah. Death is part of the world. It, it still exists in the human world. Exactly. Can I say like, can yeah. I say the the most ridiculous part of the book that sh- like should not have worried me at all, but I don't know why. So things are going really good, you know, and I'm like, and and I'm rooting for these people. I want them to be happy, and things are starting to get like you know things have been really shitty, and they're getting good again. And then Evan is like, he's going, he's on, his, he's riding his bicycle. I ride my bicycle every day. I ride my bicycle in traffic every day. It's not something that I should consider like a dangerous activity, but I just. Like once again, I'm maybe I'm a little warped for books now and for for a story that's uplifting. And so he's he's happy. He's on top of the world. He's riding his bike, and I'm like, he's gonna get hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, different genre. <laughs> like, I, like I I couldn't make it. Like I was like I wanted to skip to the end like of the chapter just to be like just put him in the c- c- coma, put him or tell me he's dead. Like, because he rode his bike and a car got him. Like, that's so. Anyway, yes. that's you, you've been that's a reading, me thing. You've been reading <laughs> different genres, and that's it. That's why I love romance so much because I remember one of the last books I read outside the romance genre that that everybody was like talking about and you know raving about, and I won a bunch of awards, and it was a beautiful book, but it was the Kite Runner, and. uh that is the saddest book. Like the ending of that book is so sad. And so it was kind of like the last thing I read outside the romance genre because I was just like, I, I, I can't do it. There's too much horrible, sad, stressful stuff going on in the world. That- I'm unfamiliar with, I mean, I've, I know the title and I know that it's tragic. Is that uh, like, is that a war book? It is. Um it is related to a war. It it happens. The book takes place in the Middle East. I mean, it's a beautiful book. It's beautifully written. I really did like the book, but at the end, I just felt so horribly sad. Yeah. And and I was like, you know, there's just enough in this world already making me horribly sad that if I'm going to read or write, I want to write things that in the end are happy. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, you're the creator of your world. You do it, you know, you do what you want with it. Oh, this this brings me, I gotta ask you this. Everybody, everybody knows that sex is fun, of course, right? But sure. you make it sound even more fun by being part of a, a mountain adventure. But there are more than a couple characters that mention that trail romances don't last, as though this is kind of like a a, a saying that people I, I don't know. I uh, I was curious. Is it really is that is that really a saying like our trail romances could particularly 
more doomed than like an office romance is that in in the trail community is that a thing i don't know anything about this it it is it is a thing it, it's a general thing to like even a lot of times trail friendships you know particularly when people through hike um, a lot of people through hiking, you know, you'll just sort of end up seeing the same people over and over because you're all kind of going the same speed. Yeah. Um, so you'll sort of keep leapfrogging each other or ending up at the same shelters or whatever. And you create these relationships that are really tight and seem like they're going to last forever. But then when you all leave that context and you're scattered back to wherever you're from, it's somewhat rare that even the trail friendships that people really stay in touch. Yeah. Um, I've known some people who did and trail relationships are the same way. It's, it's kind of like your summer camp friends. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're they're, like the, Yeah. Your summer camp friends are like the closest friends you'll ever make that you'll never, ever stay in touch with. <laughs> exactly. It's that same kind of thing. And it's a friendship that might work outside of, you know, that one environment but you don't live close to each other yeah. life real life takes over and it's just not the same you're in this very special bubble yeah when you're on the trail or or on a a, a big trip i guess um, it's cool though because it's like uh you do have the opportunity as an adult to kind of recreate a summer camp experience right like yeah, in, out there. in a way. I <laughs> in mean, a way, it's different, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a lot of it. You know, I'm just writing the adventures that I would like to be going on right now. <laughs> I think <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I think you you referenced um, a walk in the woods at some point, yeah. and it just it reminds me when you're saying like that the friendships don't last, and that when I don't know how Bill Bryson ended up like how the relationship with his friend. For anyone that hasn't read it, he went to hike the entire Appalachian trail. He was exceedingly out of shape when he started. And he brought his friend along who was also fairly out of shape, who was, uh, you know, uh, recovering from uh, some addiction problems and a lot of drinking and drugs and stuff. And, and anyway, neither of them really know what they're doing. Yeah. They're both. Yeah. It's just, it's a very funny book. And it, honestly, speaking of books that made me want to go out and hike, that was one of them. Uh, in addition to yours. Uh, but yeah, there's a part where, they are getting pretty far along the trail and then the 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 buddy falls off the wagon and starts getting drunk as shit and it and it fucks up their trip it fucks up the hike it's kind of like over yeah i was like and you know i kind of like i find it hard to i don't i find it hard to believe that those guys like really hang out much again after the hike <laughs> yeah i know i wondered about that but not to give too much of a spoiler the book's been around a long time there was a movie hopefully everybody's seen it and knows it but the scene where his buddy just starts hucking stuff from his pack off the side of the mountain, like <laughs> critical stuff, food, yeah. you know, because it's heavy, because <laughs> it's heavy, and he's just over it. Yeah, that's a classic moment to me. Um, and and I name checked the book on purpose because it is one of the books that inspired this story. Uh, there's a scene in that I that I like very much. It's it although it's like it is sad because the the drinking is what uh, uh, ultimately kind of makes it where they're both like, dude, we got to stop. <laughs> We're like not uh, up to this, but they're, they stop for supplies and he like, he like dips off. Cause he's like, he doesn't, he doesn't have any of his own money. So he keeps taking money from, from bill and he comes back and he's like acting like real weird. And he's like, Hey man, 
I need like 20 bucks to buy some sodas. And he's like, why do you need 20 bucks to buy sodas? Because basically he keeps like lying to him and telling him he's buying sodas and asking for cash. And then he just goes off and buys like a 12 pack of like Budweiser and like chugs it and then comes and asks for more soda money. I thought that was was pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a great book. I think that book and then Cheryl Strayed's Wild are sort of the two books two of the books that were kind of my uh my touchstones yeah a little bit when when writing this one in terms of other books about people having great adventures backpacking absolutely um stacy i gotta tell you something we are getting dangerously close to the lightning round so I, I have to explain to you how the lightning round works it's a different it's different than the rest of the kind of questions i've been asking you because in the lightning round i ask a question and you don't have any time to think you just have to go with a gut reaction and say the first thing that comes to your mind so some of these questions and i know in particular i think some of them you're going to be like oh come on man i there's no way i could just answer or i could just pick one or whatever <laughs> but you have to because it's the lightning round so okay does that sound fair it's the it's it is the game section of the podcast i, I love a good game Let's I, have a, I have a feeling you're gonna win uh, <laughs> i always win everybody's <laughs> win right you seem like a winner to me, and <laughs> I know that you know the answers to these questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You've been to some of the most beautiful scenic places in the world. What's the best view you've ever seen? Where was it? Probably the Tetons. The, Tetons. the Tetons. Yep. I actually got married right on the banks of the Snake River with the Grand Teton in the background. It's fabulous. Okay. I'm going to sound very ignorant. Where are the Tetons? Jackson, Wyoming. Wyoming. Okay. Sorry. I have never, that's one of the few states in this great nation of ours I've never visited, but I really, really want to go there really bad. But it is an impossible question because of course I could be like the Grand Canyon. That was amazing. And Switzerland. And yeah, you know. It is an impossible question, but I love how you just nailed it. You were like Tetons, done. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good lightning round. We're kicking ass. Okay. So you're telling me that every year, if you go out in the woods in Washington, you can see hundreds of shooting stars in one night and presumably be able to make hundreds of wishes as well because the shooting stars are right there. What is this and how do I do it? This is the Perseids meteor shower, which in fact, the peak of it was last night. Ah, I missed it. So I have to yeah, wait a year. You can still probably see some. I mean, you'll still get to see quite a number of them for a few days before and a few days after. Um, and it's ideal. This year hasn't been as great because it's a really full moon, which makes. The oh, sky yeah. I heard about that. I yeah. heard about the full moon obscuring some celestial activity. Yes, but everybody can see it. It always happens around the middle of August. Um, we're going through the trail left by a think it was the Haley Bopp comet, which only comes around once every 40 or 60 years, something like that. Don't quote me. Um, And we go through its debris trail every year in the middle of August. And that's what causes the Perseids meteor shower. Okay. So can you only see this? Do you have to be like in the North Pacific North? You should, I could see it. I could have seen it here if I had gone out in the woods. Absolutely. In fact, the very first place I ever saw it was my first year working as a whitewater raft guide on the Ocoee River in Tennessee. And I knew nothing about meteor showers. 
And all the guides were like, hey, come on, we're going to flip some rafts over up on top of the bus and go hang out and watch the shooting stars. And I was like, shooting stars, what's this? And we laid up there for like till like two in the morning watching the Perseids. And so they've long been kind of a favorite of mine. And I try and catch them every year if I can. Well, I feel like a fool. Now I have a year to wait. But uh, the no, Okoye... just wake, wake up at about three, four in the morning. And if it's clear out, go head outside and you'll probably see some tonight. It's not a total, not a total loss. And not I was going to say, too, next year will be wait. even cooler. The, the Okoe River is one of my favorite rivers to raft down. And it's funny, we were talking about summer camps. I used to go to the Okoe uh, River summer camp when I was a little kid. Nice. So, I know. I love that river. It's such a blast. It's so, 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 so fun. I've, I guess I'm trying to think. I've rafted on the Denali, the Okoe, and something in, in Colorado, but I can't remember the name of it. Probably the Arkansas. I have no recollection. It was really fun. That's all, that's all I can say. Okay. Sorry. This is a lightning round. What am I doing? Uh, <laughs> we <okay>. digress. <laughs> Next question. I I was just up in Seattle for the uh, summer solstice. Uh, summer solstice. And I went to the Naked Bicycle Parade. Are Jules and Evan the type of people that would participate in the Naked Bicycle Parade? I just want to know if you think. Jules 100% wouldn't hesitate. She's probably done the naked bicycle parade before. Yeah. Evan would question it and Jules would convince him and he would do it and then think it was really hilarious after. <laughs> I can see that. He would need some coaxing. A little coaxing because you need a little coaxing on to get naked swimming in the lakes too. Like, Yeah, for sure. I, I enjoyed a lot of just, this is just kind of just by accident because I mean, I had no way of knowing you were going to be they like some of the locations that you use in this book, like Snoqualmie. Uh, yeah. I'm very familiar with it. I go snowboarding there. Uh, obviously, I, I know Seattle really, really well. I don't, you know, live there, but I am there often. It's the it's the city that I am in the most besides the one I live in. So it was nice. cool just being like, you're like, oh, he moved to Fremont. And I was like, dope. <laughs> yeah, I actually I lived in Seattle for 15 years. So that's how I. I got the I got the impression you had lived in Seattle or still did because of the just the descriptions you were doing of like the city and the area around there. All right. This one pretty hard. Uh, I guess I want to preface it saying all things being equal. So uh, you will have the same amount of uh, appropriate gear either way. It is it'll be the same amount of extremity either way. But I am curious just for personal preference. Would you rather hike a hundred miles in extreme cold or in extreme heat? Ooh, that's a really good one. And you and like like I said, in both instances, you have the you have all the the proper gear. It's not so you're not. I don't, you you have everything you need, and yeah. the, and the amount of how cold it is is about how hot it is. It's like to your tolerance levels, I suppose. I would have to go with cold simply because I am a general believer that um cold is better than hot because you can always put more clothes on but at a certain point when it's hot you're just naked and sweaty you know (laughs) (laughs) man i don't know how i would answer it i might have to go hot if it's like a desert i think i could hang i think i could go through 100 miles of desert if i had an unlimited water source well and you know i had to think about it for a second but which i shouldn't do in the lightning round but I've also done a fair amount of ski touring and 
So I've spent a fair amount of time doing miles in the cold and, and the snow and whatnot. And then I've spent a fair amount of time because I grew up in Georgia being out in the hot. Yeah. And yeah. Heat drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, bottom line, man, it sucks to be too cold and it sucks to be too hot. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes, exactly. It's all about the right clothing. And like I said, when you're hot at a certain point, you've taken everything off and then you're just naked and hot. At least yeah. if you're cold, you got options still, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Stacey, uh, I have one last question. It's the most important question of the uh, entire podcast. That is, where can people uh, find you? Where can people find your books? Uh, everything, everything that you're willing to share for everyone out there in podcast land to know about you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can learn more about me and find all my books on my website at stacygold.com. And it's all spelled the easiest way possible. S-T-A-C-Y-G-O-L-D. No extra E's, I's, anything like that. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at author Stacy Gold. And uh, then you can find me live if you happen to be in Colorado on... Um, Thursday, the, what are we? Thursday, the 18th, next Thursday, I'll be in Fort Collins at Old Firehouse Books doing a conversation with another romance, local romance author, Mariah Ankman. And then on the 26th, I will be in Frisco up in Summit County, which is where all the ski areas are. If people are familiar with Breckenridge and um, Keystone and all of that, I will be in Frisco at the uh, next page books and doing a reading and signing. So folks can come find me live there, but otherwise, uh, yeah, head over to my website at stacygold.com. Find me on social media, um, hit me up, talk to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody go check out Stacy. She's awesome. Her books are so fun. Yeah. Uh, and buy, buy yourself a copy of wild at heart. Yeah. <laughs> I, I truly enjoyed it and, and really enjoyed talking to you today, Stacy. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a ton of fun, and I'm thrilled that you enjoyed Wild at Heart. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. Oh, hey, guys. I guess the episode's over. I guess you caught me uh, doing my experiment again, trying to find out whether or not flowers feel pain. Still haven't figured it out yet. I'm only on trial number two. If you're curious about the experiment results, you can contact me at myviewsaremyown.com or on Instagram at myviewsaremyown underscore podcast or on Twitter at myviews underscore podcast or on Facebook at, I don't know how you would, I guess, just go on Facebook and search My Views Are My Own. I have not updated that one in a while. Or you could just send me a love letter. Thanks for listening. Lovebirds. <laughs>